0: Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics Tonight, police in London, Ontario, say the killing of four members of a family in a hit-and-run collision was a targeted attack because of their Muslim faith. The House of Commons passes an opposition motion calling on the government to drop its court cases involving compensation for Indigenous children. Some Liberals back the motion, some abstain. Does this vote signal a change in the government's approach on reconciliation MPs will debate? And as vaccinations ramp up and Canada looks to reopenings, should we be looking to a late summer campaign? Our panel of parliamentary journalists on election timing and more. And we begin tonight with what police are calling the deliberate murder of a family of four in London, Ontario. A 20-year-old man has been charged with four counts of murder after ramming his pickup truck into a Muslim family out for a walk on Sunday night. The victims include a 74-year-old woman, a 44-year-old woman, a 46-year-old man, And a 15-year-old girl, a 9-year-old boy, survived the attack and is in hospital. And police also say that terrorism charges are being considered against uh, the alleged perpetrator. Amira El-Gawabi is a human rights activist and a member of the Anti-Hate Network. And she joins me now. Amira, um, thank you very much for taking time to speak with me this evening. And I'm I'm sorry that it's under these circumstances. And here we are talking about this kind of an issue again. So I'm wondering what feelings uh, are you are having right now, as we learn some of the details of what police say, is this premedid, uh, premeditated mass killing of four members of a family simply because they're Muslim?
1: Peter, um, it's utter shock and dismay mixed in with fear. Uh, you know, I haven't been able to stop my hands from shaking, to be honest, for the past few hours. Um, you know, obviously thinking about this poor family, uh, you know, like any of our families, you know, looking forward for a beautiful, evening walk and, um, you know, be targeted in such a horrific, senseless way, it, it, it really boggles the mind, you know, how how someone so consumed by hatred could deliberately go after a grandmother with her daughter and grandchildren uh, and her husband. It, it's, it's beyond the pale, of course. And, you know, it brings back horrific memories as well of, a, of an attack on a Quebec City mosque mm-hmm. in which six worshippers were gunned down uh, by someone also motivated by hatred of uh, people who are of the Muslim faith. And so it's just heartbreaking. And, um, you know, this is, it's something that you just, you can never prepare for for news like this. And certainly our hearts are are thinking of the family and the entire London community right now.
0: What what questions do you think uh, need to be answered uh, and certainly asked about the the circumstances of this attack and and the young man who apparently carried it out?
1: There are many questions that we need to answer, certainly. uh, We don't know yet what evidence the police have in determining that this was indeed a hate-motivated mass murder. We don't know. Was this perpetrator, for instance, consuming hatred online? You know, this is unfortunately uh, a a very, very significant concern for those of us monitoring hate groups in this country uh, who've seen these very dangerous narratives online spilling over into real life. We've actually seen during the pandemic this, you know, toxic mix of people who are conspirators and seeing, you know, cons- conspiracies everywhere about COVID coming together with mm. far-right groups, um, and you know the racism that those groups espouse spilling over. So of course, many of us and many of your viewers will have heard about the spike of hate against Asian Canadians in our country. Uh, we've heard about all sorts of incidents as well impacting Canadian Muslims up until now. Uh, including across the the country, places like Alberta, in which visibly Muslim women have been targeted in a series of attacks over the past few months as well. So the questions have to be, you know, what motivated this individual to do this crime, to commit this terror, terror? And certainly it is terrorism, because there seems to have been an ideological motivation, a hatred towards Canadian Muslims.
0: The mayor of London said today that the Muslims in his city should feel safe that this attack doesn't represent the people of London or what London is. But how safe do Muslims in Canada feel in these times?
1: Well, we know that hate crimes, Peter, are considered to be message crimes. That when someone is targeted or family in this instance, It's not simply that family that is going to feel the the horrific repercussions of that, that it really does send out a very frightening message to others who share in the identity that this family was targeted for. And so absolutely, there is a lot of concern. There's a lot of fear. I've already received messages from our local police service here in Ottawa talking about heightened surveillance of, of places of worship and, and monitoring to ensure that people feel safe. Um, but, you know, an attack like this, it, it, it just comes out of nowhere. And uh, it seems that way, at least those who are monitoring these groups are frightened of these types of outcomes, certainly, and warn police authorities to take reports of hates more seriously than, than sometimes they do.
0: All right, Amir al gawabi we uh, continue to uh, learn and wait on more information involving this attack, but it's a terrible tragedy for the country, and uh, condolences to, to your community and uh, Muslims across the country. Uh, it's, a, it's a terrible day for them and, and for the country, and thanks for your time tonight. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much, Peter.
0: To the latest political developments now in the wake of the discovery of the remains of those 215 children at the former residential uh, school site in Kamloops, British Columbia. The House of Commons today passed an NDP motion calling on the federal government to take concrete action to advance reconciliation. That includes dropping its legal appeals involving compensation for Indigenous children and their families who were failed by the child welfare system and accelerating the efforts to document unmarked graves at residential schools. There were no votes against the motion, 271 to 0, but some Liberals uh, supported it and some abstained. The motion is non-binding on the government, but it does express the will of Parliament.
2: It is very flagrant and very egregious that this Liberal government is fighting these kids. On top of that, to fight survivors, the St. Anne survivors, to fight them in court and the way that they're being fought in court. All of this is wrong, and here's an opportunity to express the will of Parliament to say stop doing it.
0: Let's bring in three members of Parliament now to discuss the vote in the House today and the latest on federal actions on reconciliation. Gary Sangari is the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations. Jamie Schmail is the critic for Crown Indigenous Relations for the official opposition Conservatives. And Charlie Angus is the critic for Indigenous Youth for the NDP. Uh, Mr. Sangari, let me start with you. C- can you explain the vote by your party on this motion this afternoon? Some MPs abstained. Others supported the motion. What's going on inside the Liberal Party on this?
2: Well, I think it's it's very clear. The the government uh, uh, took a position that uh, this is such an important issue, that there should be a free vote on this. Um, And the the ministers um, abstained uh, on this, Mr. Bennett and Minister Miller, uh, and then it was a free vote. So it's very um, important to recognize that the the motion uh, had some very important elements uh, towards reconciliation, towards uh, ensuring uh, the the calls to action 72 to 76 were fulfilled, but there's also other elements that uh, that, that uh, could not be resolved today, and, and it's something that takes will take a longer period of time uh, to work through, and, and that's the reason why the government took the position. But it very All right. it's very important government.
0: It, hey, let me jump in. It's a it's a non-binding motion, but by the same token, uh, it's now passed through the house. Uh, 271 to to 0 I think the vote was nobody voted against it Uh, Prime Minister should be noted wasn't uh, there for the vote so I guess my question is does this now mean the motion called on you to drop the legal actions against indigenous uh, organizations is that going to happen now Does does your caucus want the government to stop fighting indigenous people in court
2: Peter, as a government from the beginning from 2015 we've been working towards resolving many of the outstanding issues with indigenous people and that's what we've been working towards if you look at many uh, many of the, the the major outstanding issues uh, whether it be jordan's principle or other uh, important elements that have come through the courts we have uh, made sure that, that we comply with them we're right now uh, towards a path of reconciliation right but One let me dead, let me jump in to there's a
0: there's a court date in 2 weeks uh, on on this issue about whether or not you're going to continue to fight uh, compensation for Indigenous children and their caregivers. Uh, are you still going to court on that, or is that case now going to be set aside?
2: Well, look, there, there are there are several um uh, important uh, cases that are before the courts. Uh, many of them are uh, at a point of, uh, of direct engagement and direct uh, negotiations with uh, different uh, uh, different parties that are involved. Uh, and we will continue to engage uh, through that process uh, to have outcomes that are equitable, okay. that are fair, uh, that ensures that uh, the rights of, of First Nations um, children are protected. Okay,
0: so it sounds like the court cases are, are going to go ahead. Mr. Smell, what do you think of the votes after?
3: Well, it it was shocking, but not surprising. This is a government that has failed to take action on this file for the six plus years they've been in power. We continue to see more talk, more talk, but less action. And these these families, these communities are are calling for action. Less than a dozen of the Truth and Reconciliation calls to action have been completed so far. We now have the murdered and missing indigenous women and girls uh, action plan that has 200 plus uh, calls to justice that uh, are lacking timelines. Some have called the process toxic and and unsafe. Uh, So I think these communities are calling for action and I think that's what's needed right now. We as the opposition have put forward a suggestion, a number of suggestions, four points in fact, that are calling for direct action and things that can be done immediately and we can get started on instead of uh, another plan to make a plan.
0: Okay. uh, Mr. Angus, what do you... uh, Uh, make of that vote in the House today and the uh, Liberals' uh, free vote, Mr. Uh, Anansangari says, but uh, clearly split on this.
4: Well, uh, I just want to say that for um, the St. Anne survivors, I was talking to them, they wept during that vote. Um, They're so tired of the toxic behavior of Carolyn Bennett and the Liberal government. I talked to people in the child welfare cases who are not under negotiations with this Liberal government. They're facing um, constant, constant legal uh, harassment by the prime minister's lawyers. So when my colleague says how important this was, yeah, it was so important that the prime minister didn't bother to show up. He didn't bother to show up on an issue that's about whether or not children who suffered what the tribunal is called, willful and reckless discrimination are entitled to to some kind of redress. Uh, So the question is, parliament, even the Liberal the Liberal Party can't stomach the Prime Minister's position. That's why they voted the way they did. The Liberal members can't support this. They can't stomach this. So I'm asking my Liberal colleague, um, St. Anne's residential school survivors have called out to Carolyn Bennett. They're ready to sit down and meet. Is she going to meet them? Is she going to respect the will of parliament? Or is this going to be one more set of toxic games? Because I don't think people are going to put up with it. People want Action, and they're not going to put up with any more weasel words,
0: M- Mr. Uh, Anandasangari, uh So, what 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 is now the practical result of this vote? Uh, clearly, you said it was a free vote, and uh, we saw that uh, at the end of the day, uh, you take the, take, the, uh, take the abstentions, take the people who supported the motion, uh, they backed a motion uh, calling on the government to drop the legal actions, to draw to, the to legal fight. What's the practical response, or the what's the practical result of this vote uh, in terms of what your government does next here?
2: P- Peter, there's, there's obviously an urgency uh, to the issues that are identified um, in, in the motion, and we share in the urgency as a government. We've been working towards resolving... Um, many of the outstanding issues uh, that are that are uh, that are uh, the, the, the subject of the motion, um, with respect to uh, Minister Bennett, I know she will uh, be reaching out to to survivors and uh, especially from St. Ann's, uh, as she has with many other groups uh, over her tenure, um, and and she will continue to, to engage. Uh, and we will, as a government, also extend mental health supports uh, to to the survivors, as as we've uh, promised from from the outset of of the discovery. Of the 215 um, uh, children um, in uh, in Camloops, um, what's important with respect to say Saint Anne's, for example, is that there is a process. Justice Pitfield is an independent reviewer. He's been uh, asked to review uh, the, right. the the cases and and, 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 and report back. Up. It is a whitewash. Um, it it okay. is
4: a whitewash. You're involved. Well, in. I mean. Don't lie to the and, people. You are engaged in a whitewash. That's right, why we brought this motion let, to Parliament. Okay, so tell the truth. Just tell well, the truth.
0: Well, let, let, let me, so uh, Mr. Uh, and Sangri, finish the point you are making, then I want to hear from Mr. Smell.
2: Well, look. look th- th- this is this is a this is the process that uh, that has been endorsed by the court. That we have sought uh, Justice Pitfield, who who has a mandate to come back with recommendations, and we're working this issue through. Um, okay. Uh, look. Okay. I'm going to leave that. Charlie... Down.
0: Mr. L- 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 Mr. Smell, let me let me turn to you. Do, does where's your party on on the? Uh, uh, on, on the court action, uh, the challenges being filed by the government and that have been ongoing by the government in terms of compensation uh, should those uh, you supported this motion today, so does that mean you want the government to drop all court actions?
3: well, I think yeah, we supported the motion, and, and Charlie's is right this this the fact that the prime Minister and the cabinet either abstained or not show, bothered to show up actually shows how. Little they take this file seriously. We have survivors begging for help. We we want to see action on this file as a whole by this government. But yet again, they are all talk on this, and they are not actually doing anything. Again, we put forward point after point on how we can move forward in this and and the process of reconciliation and the government hasn't been listening but the communities are screaming for it okay and and they're just being ignored
0: mr angus do you see a a a new opening uh, uh for possible pressure here based on the vote we just saw
3: absolutely i mean
4: carolyn bennett can do the right thing She can call St. Anne. She never has. Uh, This process they've set up is to exclude St. Anne's. It is to whitewash the suppression of evidence that was led by the Justice Department. Why does she want to wear this as her legacy? Call Edmund Matatawab and do the right thing. The St. Anne survivors have put an offer on the table for two years. It's the same with Cindy Blackstock. If they had respected the court ruling, the Human Rights Tribunal, as the Prime Minister promised in 2016, we wouldn't be arguing compensation now. The compensation was put on the government because they said they'd never seen... uh a case where, you know, the government in this case was so belligerent and so refusing to sit down. So all this talk about trying to work through, it has been the prime minister's toxic legal war. Okay. And I think Canadians expect us to do the right thing. So this is a huge opportunity. And I'm saying to my liberal colleagues, I mean, even their, their caucus can't stomach what the prime minister's doing. So just do the right thing and we can move on and right. build a better Canada. And gentlemen,
0: thanks for your time tonight. I uh, have to move on from this, but appreciate your uh, taking the time to talk about it. Thank you all.
4: Thank, Thank you. you.
0: This weekend, the Catholic Church shot back at the Prime Minister after he called on the Church to step up and release records from the residential schools it operated. Justin Trudeau also called on the Pope to apologize for the role of the Church in the abuse at the schools. Cardinal Thomas Collins, the Archbishop of Toronto, suggests a formal apology is not the best way forward and called the Prime Minister's comments extremely unhelpful and possibly uninformed. He told parishioners uh, on Sunday that Catholic organizations have apologized in the past and that the Church continues to do its part. We all seek the truth. And the recent discovery in Kamloops provides yet another opportunity for us to learn more about this dark chapter in our history and the painful journey experienced by so many of our Indigenous brothers and sisters. Since the 1990s, Catholic leaders, clergy, women, religious, and lay people who have been engaged in the most difficult work of listening, dialogue, penance for our sins, and the personal encounter and journey to true reconciliation. Let me bring in Krista Big Canoe. She's the Legal Director of Aboriginal Legal Services. I asked her today why the apology from the Pope is so important.
5: The church has to take responsibility for its role. We have seen in other issues with the Catholic Church, in, in particular other events and circumstances in other geographical locations, them actually taking the time to apologize for the actions of, uh, of their clergy. And in this case, we, we know that there were hard impacts uh, for Indigenous children that have had intergenerational traumatic experiences that the church should just address.
0: Do you have a sense of why, um, you know, when we we hear this discussion and we the church points to the different orders in the church, the oblates and mm. uh, different groups, and that in some cases they've apologized, that the responsibility kind of trickles down, but uh, a lot of people believe the responsibility trickles up, and that at the, the very top of the hierarchy. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on why there's this reluctance uh, to actually take that uh, next step and have the pope apologize. Why do you think there's a hesitancy to do that?
5: I'm not sure why there's a hesitancy to be honest with you like things centralized back to the Vatican, right? Like the it's like almost any other institutional structure, it's a top-down system. So where there's accountability and responsibility, it should have come from the top and trickle down. That's true of churches, that's true of governments, right? And it's you can't hide behind the structures that exist. It's one thing to say, well, one group or the Oblates yeah. of this diocese has said something, but the reality is it's a top down process. There has to be oversight and accountability. Otherwise, we could only fear that this will continue to happen to children around the world in different regions if there isn't ownership of the issues.
0: Well, let's bring in our panel of parliamentary journalists now. Susan Delacorte is a columnist with the Toronto Star. Joelle Denis Balavance is the parliamentary bureau chief for La Presse. And you also see John Iveson there, columnist with the National Post and parliamentary bureau chief for Post Media. Uh, Susan, let me start with you. Uh, you know, the latest sort of developments on the ongoing uh, discussion, debate, uh, international or sorry, international as well, but national uh, focus now on uh, residential schools. The Archbishop of Toronto over the weekend firing back at the Prime Minister over his call for the church to step up and take responsibility for its actions on residential schools and for the Pope to apologize, which uh, the Pope didn't do on Sunday. Uh, Here we have the church and the Prime Minister in a a war of words here and Indigenous people sort of uh, watching the finger pointing. What do you make of all this?
6: I was very surprised by all events over the weekend. I, I did not see that coming. I didn't expect um, the Catholic Church to respond so quickly and so negatively. And you know, who would have ever thought we would have seen Justin Trudeau now arguing with the Church, the Catholic Church? Um, I, I was surprised by how harsh the rhetoric got. Uh, it, it was impressive that uh, that the Pope stepped up in, to some degree, but I was surprised by the way they sort of drew the line saying, look, we already apologized for uh, what we did in the Americas, so um, we're, we're sort of covered now. Mm. I, I think even Catholics would probably recognize that was inadequate to the moment here in Canada, um, but... Um, a surprising development, church versus state. It's not the kind of battle that uh, that we expected to see in this century, okay. actually. Joël Denis, uh, what are your thoughts on these recent developments?
7: Well, you can expect the fight between the church and the government to intensify because searches are going on or will be uh, undertaken in some other uh, resident schools across the country. And we expect to discover more of those remains of kids who have died in those uh, uh, residential residential schools. So I expect the fight between the government and churches to continue. Now, the prime minister, I think we would like, would be happy to get an official apology from the Pope. And I, I know for a fact that he even sent an emissary to uh, the Vatican uh, years ago, mm-hmm. uh, two years after he gained power in 2015. Uh, and the emissary was the current minister of immigration, Marco Medicino, when he was a visit to Rome, he went and tried to plead with the Pope to apologize for the role of the Church in the residential schools, and he got nowhere. So there is still some pressure, I think, that will be exercised uh, exerted on the uh, on the Pope to actually provided inadequate apologies for the current circumstances.
0: John, what's your view on this battle between the Prime Minister and, and the Catholic Church and, and the way the Church and even the Pope have responded on And some people suggesting this is the Prime Minister trying to deflect uh, the response of his own government to, onto the Catholic Church.
8: Well, I think, you know, taking the, taking on the Pope is not normally a vote winner. Um, but, uh, but I think that this, in this case, uh, the, the Catholic Church is... Is not in a in a good place. I mean, all the other dominant denominations uh, abjectly apologise for their role in the residential school system. The Catholic Church, various um, uh, part of the uh, of the Catholic Church, did make apologies, but because the Church is so centralised, it has to come from the Pope, and he has uh, has clearly not done that. Benedict did make some kind of statement to Phil Fontaine in two thousand and ten, but it fell short of a papal apology. And you know the Catholic Church was responsible for two thirds of these of these schools, so it bears more that more responsibility than most. And I think the public sees that.
0: And I think there's you know there's the there's the battle over documents. And, and Susan, to some extent, is this really all about? Uh, as this moves forward, um, you know, are, does there seem to be a a mood galvanizing around? Uh, A a greater focus on uh, the residential school survivors and what the loss really means to the extent that if they don't feel there's been a suitable apology and they're the ones saying that then doesn't there need to be a suitable apology I mean are we sort of there?
6: Yeah I think the you know the the initial efforts are going to focus on who were these children and you know as JD said we are going to probably find more so Let's get these documents to find out and identify who these these uh, these children were. I think that's that's sort of job number one. Uh, I, I think an apology comes behind that, but the the, the two event the two issues are linked because, um, the as I understand it from the government, and it you know there is a a fundamental difference on this. I I watched yesterday is. As Phil Fontaine was sort of saying, well, one is lying, and you don't normally have a lie. You know, you have to decide between a man of God and the Prime Minister on who is lying. Um, But (laughs) there seems to be some substantial dispute over whether the Catholic Church does actually even have the material that uh, that people need, and uh, we—that's just the beginning of the argument. So. It looks kind of entrenched right now.
0: Lots to follow on that. John, if I can, let me move to you here. Uh, G7 finance ministers wrapped up their meeting on the weekend ahead of the uh, leaders' meeting next weekend with a pledge to tax the digital giants, as Canada plans to do starting next year, and to establish a minimum corporate tax rate around the world of at least 15%. What's the uh, significance of that, and what does it mean for Canada?
8: Well, it's potentially a big deal because it, uh, if the G7 finance ministers adopt it, then the G20 finance ministers might adopt it. And eventually the OECD, which is negotiating on behalf of 140 nations, may also adopt it, in which case this could be the end of tax havens. So the idea of squirreling away uh, cash in the Bahamas or Bermuda where there is no corporate tax rate, um, you know, lots of companies do that. Canadian companies quite legally take the profits that are made in one jurisdiction and, and transfer them to to a, a jurisdiction with no taxes, and presto, you're not paying tax, and that's been a, a long-standing story and a bone of contention for for decades. Um, all I would say is this, this is a good step forward, I'm not quite sure why the Conservatives seem to be against it. They're arguing against uh, yeah, they're it's
0: an attack on our own sovereignty, giving up our ability vertical. to set taxation, which it's not
8: because Freeland has been quite clear. We're also going to she's going to set the digital tax on the digital giant starting next year. Also, I mean, Ed Fast, who is the critic, was the uh, trade, trade minister for Harper, signed many trade deals, all of which impinged on sovereignty, but we did it because it was good for Canada. Mm. So I don't know why they're doing that, but uh, but it's potentially big. It's not so big, though, that parties like the NDP can can already spend the money because in the 2019 <laughs> election, they, po- they targeted $25 billion dollars <laughs> Of spending, which they were going to fund with the money from right. something like that.
0: Let, let, let me, uh, the time is kind of tight tonight, but let me uh, pivot from that to the talk of election. Uh, Joël Denis, lots of vaccine supply, ramped up vaccination rates, ramped up rhetoric between the Prime Minister and the Premier of Ontario. MPs who are uh, retiring will be making their farewell speeches in the House next week. Does anyone else see uh, the increasing indications that we're headed to a fall <laughs> election here? Uh, J.D., let me start with you.
7: Well, we've seen a lot of uh, hints dropped by federal parties. I can drop some hints for myself. We are planning for our election coverage here at La Paz today. So (laughs) that means that everybody is in an election coverage mood. And I expect this to continue. Uh, You mentioned the the goodbye speeches that will be made by some MPs who do not plan to run again on Tuesday, uh, uh, June the 15th. So that's an indication that even the Liberals admit that we are heading into elections. Everybody's gearing up their machines. And then uh, except uh, maybe the, if the barbecue season is normal or quasi normal, you can see, uh, I think you can expect the, the leaders to be on the husting this summer, uh, trying to meet as many people as they can, if the uh, conditions allow it.
0: Right. Uh, Susan, uh, what do you think here? I mean, the, the possibility that we don't have a, an election late summer, early fall. Uh, then maybe MPs will make a second round of retirement speeches a couple of years from now. <laughs> uh,
6: yeah, encore, encore. Um, yeah, the Prime Minister gave a really interesting interview. If you get a chance to watch it, uh, I think CPAC put it on too, um, with uh, the star's own Martin Redcon on, at Ryerson on Friday. And And there was a little part in there. He made a face at one point that looked a little bit mischievous about an election. He also sort of started trying to frame it as sooner or later, he said, we're going to have to have a conversation and we're going to need a mandate about how we build back better. And I said, that sounds to me like somebody who's writing an election platform right now.
7: All
0: right, John, uh, final word to you here. Uh, What signs are you seeing? And do you think uh, the the train's left the station now pretty much and we're all going to be on it in a couple of months?
8: Yeah, I think so. The, the, um, the one question Margaret had was that the polls did narrow for a couple of weeks there as we were still in the third wave and it was still dragging on. And, you know, I think they may have had doubts themselves. The most recent poll, including Ananas poll today, suggests that they're well ahead, 10 points ahead, at which point, pull the trigger.
0: All right. Uh, we've got to pull the trigger in our conversation for this, uh, <laughs> this uh, uh, occasion. Thank you all for your time. And we'll talk again next week. Take care, everyone. Thank you, Peter. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Peter Van Dusen. From all of us here at CPAC, thanks again for watching. Until next time.